Hey everyone, and welcome to our first podcast from Sea Otter. We're recording this in the back of our very, very hot inflatable booth. This seems to be acting a bit like an oven right now. And that's okay though, because I'm here with Dustin Adams, founder, CEO, main boss of We Are One. And we're gonna do a quick little primer before we get into this. We Are One is a Canadian brand. You manufacture your carbon frames and rims in Kamloops right at your headquarters. They also have a big focus on locally sourced parts and North American manufacturing. So we're going to dive into that for this episode. But first, Dustin, I know you're here to talk about We Are One, but I want to spend just a minute or two talking about you so people understand where these bikes are coming from. Am I correct in saying that there was a time, probably more than a few years ago now, <laughs> that you were North America's fastest downhiller? There, that is, that is a true statement. It was a long time ago. Not many people remember, and that's a good thing because, like, I used to race with like 700 mil wide bars and kits that looked like I was maybe a little baggier than normal. But yeah, that was true. You were you were racing World Cups, traveling the world, and doing all that. Yeah, a bit more North American focused, but yeah, I'd pop onto the World Cup circuit every once in a while in uh, in the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. okay. Yeah, the, the old Norba circuit was the main focus. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, have, I have a specific memory. I'm not sure if you remember this or not, but there was a year that uh, I was at Parksville for a BC Cup downhill race. Oh, right. Let's go way back. <laughs> you were you were coming down the course. I think you might have been on a GT possibly at that point mm. uh i'm not sure what parksville uh norco uh rocky or a sun okay those are the only brands outside of giant okay yeah. well yeah you you came flying down the hill and i was 15 at the time and i was pushing my bike up the hill to go through another section yeah and you i had my head down and you had to go blowing off the course and you went like a hundred feet into the rhubarb <laughs> I and i was so embarrassed like i disappeared <laughs> and i like i literally left the race <laughs> what year what year was that i don't know 1973 73 yeah, <laughs> i have right. no idea we used to race in jeans right <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i don't remember that I, I i wish i could that is that sounds like a great memory i think you yelled something and it had some, hopefully it was nice like uh, no. i like you <laughs> yeah i was yeah. a horrible person so i probably didn't yell that i <laughs> no, no. was not my i was not happy with who i was as a person yeah 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 all right well we're gonna jump forward uh, some years here we won't say exactly how many but at some point you said, I'm going to start my own bike brand. When was that? And, and why did you, why did you make that decision? Yeah, it was, uh, I, I left cycling probably not on the best, uh, the best terms and, uh, didn't really want anything to do with it for a number of years. Um, but yeah, it was after selling my stone countertop business. I took a year off and traveled the world with my two young kids and wife and, uh, kind of came to the realization if I was going to be a happy person, I needed to get cycling back into my life mm-hmm. uh, in some way, shape or form. So we sold everything when we landed back in 2015 and we moved to Squamish and uh, basically with the the notion that I needed to get in somehow. Uh, but to, in order to do so, I needed to kind of be in the heart of it all. Mm-hmm. So that's where I met up with uh, the guys at Noble and we we kind of thought that would work out, but it didn't. Um, and after that was done, that uh, the mandate was to start domestically manufacturing carbon components uh, with a five-year goal of making a bicycle. So it was you had the goal of making a frame from day one. Yeah, yeah, it was in the business plan. Uh, it landed a year early, uh, but that was always the goal. Yeah, um, you know, being a rim manufacturer is great, and it's it's what's provided us uh, the success that we see today. Um, but when you're along for the ride, uh, as a part of something, you know, um, and we got a lot of great OE partners that we, we love being along for the ride and supporting, um, it's, it's good, but it's not what I wanted. I wanted to actually own a brand and, and be able to, to be the story. Right. Yeah. So when you say OE partners that you support, you, yep. do you mean you're like white label business with rims? Uh, we do some white label, yes, but we also uh, OE with Norco. They were nice oh, enough right. to, to okay. put us on their range. Um, and there's a few other people we're working with. Mm-hmm. Now that we have the bike, oddly enough, uh, we're looked at more of as like a competitor. So that's yeah. kind of eroded mm-hmm. the OE market, which is yeah. that's fine. It's never really been a big push, uh, like a big push for us. Mm-hmm. But uh, because we do, we don't assemble in asia so it's very very particular customer has to fit our needs on the oe side um but yeah but, we're and, we're not a threat there I and mean. It, but everybody over the last two years yeah 
there's been such a challenge getting getting of just availability yep. that anybody that owned their own production and was close to their own production had yeah. the ability to get on a lot of products that a lot of bikes that you wouldn't normally been able to get on. Yeah, and I think if we were positioned a bit better with our facilities, we could have capitalized a lot more on that mm -hmm. um, and went after that market pretty heavily but um the bike took up too much of our capacity mm -hmm. so we had too much of our, our attention focused on that so it's good because it allowed us to stay focused and and bring the bike to market and not get right. sidetracked by large oem rim orders mm -hmm. yeah so you kind of had to pick and choose our facilities have been a struggle for us ever since day one um, and we just weren't poised to take on large large scale like that yet so should we start maybe at the beginning of like the history of yeah we are one what where did it, you start? You weren't in Squamish. Yep. You made the decision to move to Kamloops pretty early. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, I was only there for a year and six months, mm -hmm. and I was sick and tired of people asking if I wanted to sell my home for millions of dollars. And I <laughs> literally, I'm not kidding you. I looked at one guy. He came up, knocked on the door, and I was like, "How much?" He's like, "A million." I was like, "Million one, and it's yours. Done. That's, that's right now. Good. Handshake deal." He's like, "Are you serious?" I'm like, "Dude, right now. Let's do it." And he, he did it. <laughs> so, so here's your house. You get it in two months, uh, moving back to Kamloops. So yeah, I mean, I had this harebrained idea to start up a rim manufacturing company and sold every like everything we owned um, and invested all of that capital into into starting We Are One Up. Why yeah. why rims though? I mean, there's a lot of components on bikes that you can make out of carbon too. Why rims specifically? Well, in 2017, the, the carbon rim market was pretty hot. There was a lot of players um, kind of trying to poise and posture for for market share. And I felt like the knowledge that I had gained working with Noble and, and Light Bicycle at the time uh, was kind of an, a low-hanging fruit for me. Yeah. So Noble is the, uh, is the sort of North American, not face of, but like they're sort of reseller for light bicycle rims. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that's a correct statement, yeah. Okay. yeah. Did you design the rims yourself or did you bring somebody into? Designed everything myself, yeah. So I took, uh, had zero knowledge about how to put carbon into the mold. No carbon experience at all. Touched it once or twice at the light bicycle factory. Um, didn't know who my vendors were. Yeah, knew nothing, uh, completely blind uh, and just sheer determination and then looking at what we could do and, and understanding that vertical integration was going to be a major uh, key to success. Uh, bought our first uh, Haas mill so we could make our own tooling, found a really good vendor in, in Seattle that could supply us with really good prepreg um, and support us through growth and uh, just started trying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, took the design, the original design, it was oddly enough, I, I don't know how it all shook out, but it was uh, six months of, of basically trial and error. We started to get our legs at about month five and started to make decent product and we mm -hmm. launched in June, um, the same day that Santa Cruz launched the reserve. <laughs> <laughs> did awesome. You, did, did you know that that was happening on the same day? I don't know. I, I don't want, I, I don't want to get into that, but I think somehow somebody tipped somebody off and we were smart enough to put that we were coming and obviously they were working on a similar project and I don't know if they tried to drown us out or whatever, whatever happened, happened, but it's like legitimately the same rim, yeah. same width, same weight, same dimensional, both in depth and everything. It was the same rim, except for they had their spoke nipple dimps, dimples. Um, that was it. And, uh, yeah, we got swallowed up and no attention from that, but uh, we just kept moving forward and Wait, was kept that pushing. The, was that the day that Danny Hart riding down the stairs on the no. video dropped? No, that was, that was, uh, another, that was another one. Okay. Yeah, they brought that yeah. down, I think, not that too far been after annoying. that. That would have annoying. To launch yeah. a brim on that day, that would have been so annoying. <laughs> it, was, it was a big gut punch to the whole team. Yeah, they were all like, what the hell? And uh, yeah, whatever. It is what it was, but... Uh, yeah, interesting time to launch a brand. Have you? Ha I feel like half of the brands we speak to are frustrated at not getting enough traction when they launch, and then others, when they're quite small, launch and are like, "Shit, this attention is is not it's not letting us scale sustainably." Well, for us, it was scaling was always going to be a challenge because we we're domestically manufacturing. Mm -hmm. But our value proposition was at the time there was envy and us 
and we were the only Canadians to ever do this. So we had a pretty unique position to start mm -hmm. to kind of pound the drama on and we just utilized our strengths there. We you know we hashtagged a hand laid in Canada thing and uh, we got it under the fastest people in BC at the time and they, you know, were winning races on it. The product was legitimately good. It wasn't like, oh, well, they're breaking and that we had consistency. We, you know, we obviously had our fair share of failures, but it wasn't, I think, at the size of, of what people expected. It wasn't that bad. We we're still sub 1% of our total, uh, total overall production. Mm -hmm. And uh, we just kept focusing on making great product. Mm -hmm. We, I mean, fuck, we just hired... A marketer like mm -hmm. our marketing department is a team of one as of january 2022 so we were product focused the entire time and we just stayed that course so you're not just grinding tyler to dust <laughs> tyler i think Ty, we were and that's yeah. why it's now a team of one for, for those for those listening tyler is a is a former pink bike employee before my time he's a og pink bike guy who just his job was to never sleep. He wasn't allowed to sleep because something might happen. Yep. And then, then uh, he ended up having a really similar role at We Are One for a while. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he was the master of many. Yeah. Um, yeah. He he definitely we we piled on and he uh, he did a decent job and now we've kind of positioned him into the uh, taking over the arrival sales yeah. side of things. Yeah. That's and he's awesome. doing well. Yeah. 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 Really good. Were you were you manufacturing your own mold? own molds for those rims yeah. back then in those early days too yeah we had to i mean it's uh we had quotes from multiple machine shops in vancouver to start and it was like 30 dollars a mold and i was like that that i can't i can't i had no capital to buy it first of all but then you could lease a haas machine for three thousand dollars a month i was like well let's go for it that's we'll make our own molds and uh yeah it was we hired a machinist uh Gilles corbet Super rad dude I used to race cross country with, believe it or not, way back in the day in like 97. Uh, me and him got thrown in uh, jail in Switzerland at the Worlds for- uh, Let's get into that. <laughs> yeah. He got the blame, but I didn't. But I did the equally bad thing. We flipped over a car and like kicked out the windows. All the juniors from the US team and the Canadian team just went haywire. Yeah. We had no handlers over there. Like Those were none. different days though. Totally Those were di different very days. Very different days. Yeah, yeah, we were not good people yeah um yeah we did stupid stuff and he took the brunt of it all and then was kicked off the team permanently yeah so anyhow he came around from manitoba he moved to kamloops and he's like walks in the shop and he's like, are you dustin i'm like yeah he's like, jill and I haven't seen him for like 20 years <laughs> and uh yeah sure as shit he's like a master mold machinist and he's looking for a job in the bike industry well that worked out well perfect right? he's uh he's a beauty i, I love him can you explain why machining a mold costs more than, say, machining a stem? Uh, tolerance, accuracy, mm -hmm. the amount of time, the the cost to make a mistake uh, on a mold is so detrimental. Like if we made a mold and we had a mistake and had to scrap that, you know, there's hundreds of hours that go into mm -hmm. preparing that mold. Uh, and then, you know, you got all the material The material alone is very expensive. Uh, so you kind of got to, what do you, what do you machine the molds out of? Is it we made you, steel? we machine out of aluminum. Oh, yeah. So, right um, and right now the prices are insane. So, yeah. but, uh, yeah, I mean the cost to make a mistake there is, is really big and it shows in the product. If you don't have good accuracy there, um, and you don't do a good job, then it's everything downstream just is crap. So yeah, you have to nail it and that's where. I was biggest, that's my biggest fear was not controlling that process and relying on a machine shop and you set tolerance. And if they come out and you don't know, mm -hmm. you maybe have 50 to hundred rims into the market that are off spec. Right. And then you're like, oh no, yeah. what do we do now? That's a, a big factor. I imagine you, your, your brand being able to do a lot of these things. I mean, it sounds like almost all the things yeah, in we do. house, especially especially during these times. That's probably yep. been a huge help. That's my mandate. Um, that was right from day one. Is like we need to control the whole process. If we don't control the process, um, we rely on others. There's there's that's how problems seep into the to the product and the overall company. So right from the get go, it was like we need to do the paint, we need to do the graphics, we need to do the machining all the parts we can make everything we can possibly do we will do can can you maybe walk us through the the production of a carbon rim in general terms mm -hmm. um and like 
you guys are using like a prepreg carbon. Yeah, like everybody. Yeah. yeah. So can you just walk us through like in general what does it take to make a carbon? In, including carbon? including all how your the proprietary all your proprietary <laughs> yeah, information. Okay, let me tell you everything we need to know. Okay, so Mike's gonna start a rim business. So our our first layer is ninety millimeters wide and eighteen hundred. Well, it's uh, it's it's quite laborious, honestly. Like, there's you can't uh, automate this process. So we have a team of uh, seven people that do the you know carbon comes in big long rolls. Uh, we roll it out onto a a, a, th a, a cutter um, mm -hmm. that processes the uh, the strips and the sizes to the, what we need, and we batch cut those out. Then they pre-package the rim, so they'll do all of the key components of the rim. They'll pre-lay them into um, you know, a, a, a nipple bed or a, a bead seat or a, the rim outer shape, stuff like that. So they get it as close as they can. So the people laying that product into the rim can go pretty quick. Um, and then once they are finished. So, and so these molds are in multiple pieces. Uh, no, molds, uh, six pieces total. So you have two halves and then you'll see that in our, on our, our rim. Everyone thinks mm -hmm. that that's like, that's where they glue it together. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. That's the parting line of the mold. So yeah. you can't. You can't have a mold that captures a part because it has to come out. Yeah. So you part it in the middle, make your what they call draft angle, right? Yeah. So your product will come out of the mold and it's not going to get stuck and captured. You're speaking Brian's language right now. I, I know. I see him getting really getting excited, excited over there. He's like machining. Let me tell you about <laughs> oh my. <laughs> I actually want to know more about that machine. It looks pretty cool. Which one? The, the, oh, the little, little the robot little you bought. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. So you're but learning CAD and CAM and I'll make that. I'll make a little two-inch large uh, um rim carbon rim nice you yeah. could do a stem though i could uh, i could do a stem yeah yeah um barely i could do a stem it's got yeah well just do little tiny cuts yeah take you a while tiny, but yeah but Dude, I, I made that little shifter thing yeah i saw that it took like seven hours oh wow <laughs> I, this is I'm like you're not going to be profitable <laughs> well, <it's laughs> no but that's like that's so it's funny like I mm -hmm. learned that CAD CAM when I had the stone business. Mm -hmm. So it was a direct transfer over. Like our first molds, I was like, hop on the machine. I know CAD, I know CAM, I know how it works. Yeah. And it's really translatable. Yeah. So once you have the tool, it's, it's no problem. How long does it take to make a rim, one rim, start to finish? Uh, I would say in the oven, it's it's two hours in the oven. Um, you're probably two hours prelay and an hour layup so five hours per kind of thing sorry I, I totally sidetracked us on the oh. on the pieces of mold oh so yeah yeah things get laid into the molds yeah in the pieces yeah what happens then uh so the pieces the kit that was pre-laid is mm -hmm. picked and selected for the right mold uh mm -hmm. then that kit uh is laid into the mold by the actual the laminator um that process takes about 45 minutes to an hour um and then there's uh quadrants that go around that form the the bead itself mm -hmm. so that's where the tire sits and those quadrants get kind of draft angled into the to the actual mold itself the two mold halves and then you have a complete mold right yeah so that then goes into the oven under pressure and pushes against the the mold and the mold itself will give you the part you're looking for and what is the thing that is actually pushing against the mold it's just a vacuum that's the proprietary part that we okay. can't talk about okay let's cool. just say air Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. Air under pressure. A bladder. Yeah. It's a, okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. It's just a bladder. Nothing yeah. fancy. Okay. It's really not that technical. I don't know. Some people are really protective of really weird things. If you if you know if you have ever seen a carbon rim made, you know yes. what we're talking okay. about. This okay. isn't new. There's nothing that we do in the process that is revolutionary and <laughs> compared to anybody else have you not gotten the memo that every single bike product has yeah. to be revolutionary you're not, and game-changing no, sorry you're not doing the marketing very you're well missing here the right now, you're missing That's, launch bingo here where's caitlin i need caitlin here she's like shut <laughs> up and start hitting me <laughs> no it's a, it's just our process of how we cut the fiber the orientation we cut the fiber and how we laminate it into the mold that's what makes our product so good mm -hmm. yeah that's where the time is spent the the math has been done the calculations are done and the process is 100 percent spot on every single time how many molds do you guys have now over 40. Wow. yeah it was like our our so that's a capital asset uh i think on our balance sheet we're sitting on over 500 and some odd thousand dollars in mold tooling mm -hmm. yeah it's it's crazy and then the, the frame molds i think we have six seven eight of those yeah so yeah it gets a lot in a hurry
let's let's get into where the ingredients for these things come from because you're big about that as well mm -hmm. so where does the carbon come from from seattle yeah so from a vendor there that supplies uh uh large entities yeah so we're and but it it doesn't come out of the ground in seattle no i mean it, yeah i mean if we we want to get so our source is within 500 miles where they get their stuff okay yeah. let we dive down that i think i think their fiber does come from japan mm -hmm. uh their resins come from california mm -hmm. uh so those two come together and that's where we source yeah. it from from them so you know yeah. we interviewed you maybe three four years four years ago maybe for an environmental piece that richard oh. cunningham did yeah okay and i really i mean i called you for some background on it mm -hmm. and I, I really liked what you had to say about, you know, we're talking about whether carbon is more environmentally friendly than aluminum. And like the real answer is always that like not buying anything is the most environmentally friendly thing. But you, you driven, you've driven big ass mine trucks before. Yeah. Um, and you kind of drove home to me that like aluminum isn't necessarily like there are both of them take resources up. I would say the product on net is is worse for aluminum to produce you, you feel yeah yeah i mean when you factor what happens a bauxite mine is a disgusting yeah. place. yeah but i mean making fiberglass and burning it to make carbon fiber isn't exactly great Good either, either. Yeah. so i mean we can sit here and pound that into, into the dirt all we want and we'll end up at a place where we should all just not buy bikes and not have fun Totally. And that's fine. I mean, my mandate, the green thing for me is really, really challenging because especially the recyclability yeah. that that I just every time I see that I get so fucking mad because what about making a product that lasts like right. not a product that turns over every two years? How about you focus on that? And everyone was like, well, I want to I want a 20 pound bike. Well, sure, but it ain't going to last. Is that why you I've noticed that your rims are not particularly light nope and that you actually some of the rims that you white label for other brands are lighter than your own rims yeah that's what they want um yeah so they gave you a certain specs and, mm -hmm. and it passes all the things and you give it to them but when sure. you personally sell rims you just aren't willing to go as light as all that no i mean the rims are are so if you think okay back in the day when you had a carbon rim if you look at our our, our, our sorry any rim you would work in a bike shop. You would come into that bike shop in my day when I was 17 years old. If you broke a wheel and you came into the shop and it was tacoed, you were legitimately shunned as a person. Like looked down on as like a hack, a horrible <laughs> rider. You need to get better at riding and never come back here again with a broken <laughs> rim. Because if you do... What bike you, shop did you work at? Jeez. <laughs> it was hardcore. Like, I remember this. I remember feeling like this guilt going in and like I needed my rim true. They're like, well, what did you hack your bike into to make it come out of true? You yeah. you want to be. This is this is like 90s. Yeah, yeah 90s. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. by the 2000s, like when I was working in bike shops, it was like, bro, I took off my wheel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool and that's that's the thing. I mean, I would say 95 percent of our warranties mm -hmm aren't avoidable by something that we have done like we don't make product that doesn't break or sorry we make product that is extremely durable in comparison to what we've seen in the past mm -hmm. and it doesn't just break for no reason it's mm -hmm. generally someone sent it and cased a huge double with a rock backside and you're like well i mean i wish i could engineer that but there's no real test that we can put that through and legitimize that happening so it's a real challenge and, and the the mandate for the bike, that's the one that I kind of want to talk about as far as recyclability and where we stand. It was mm -hmm. like, let's make this thing as durable as we can, because my what I want to see is 10 years from now when we roll through the thing and you see like a giant ATX roll by and everyone goes, oh, remember that? Remember that? I really want our bike to be that bike. James Smurthwaite is currently wandering around Sea Otter with the mandate to go and get all the cool old fucked up bikes that are like they sea otter has a ton of kooky Dude, old bikes do you remember the sun radical i dream do remember the I, sun I, I have one bike. that is cherry can we is that the one you raced yeah with does it have an inverted boss yeah. fork on it no it has the obsess fork that was oh, what olivier Lord. did before he did yeah. uh before he did um uh what's it called boss. boss thank yeah. you boss yeah 
Wow. Yeah. Um, can we do a bike check on that sometime? Absolutely. Okay. It's mint. It's in it's in Kamloops. Yeah. Okay. I'll take photos. I got a photographer in house. So I'll get him to send it to you. Okay. We'd love to do an it's, article on that one. It's yeah. One of the oh, dude, raddest sick. bikes I ever rode. Yeah. <laughs> it was like looking back at it, it, I think it was made out of like square tubing steel. Yeah. <laughs> that you could the buy it. Like super thin little square tubes. Yeah. That high pivot and the idler. Oh, I ran into Max uh, in North Van a number of years ago and I tried to like articulate that I had that bike still. Yeah. But his our barrier of link, like he was a bit too French at the time. And uh, he's, he, he's here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm going to take a photo and just send it to him. Like, remember this? <laughs> Yeah. So your goal is that in 10 years, when we are stuck in the same jobs that we're in right now, I'll be in this booth talking about podcasts. bikes in Seattle and we look out there and we'll see some kooky dude yeah. rolling around. Not on just one. Lots of kooky All dudes of them. Yeah. and ladies like, rolling around on these bikes as sort of like vintage heirloom type yeah. bikes that people look up and notice. And I want to legitimize that. I mean, I have, I have ridden my prototype arrival since it was number two out of the mold. And I've ridden it since that. That's like two and a half years. And I've probably 50, 60 days at Sun Peaks on that bike. Mm-hmm. I haven't changed bearings. I haven't done nothing on purpose. I just want to see how far I can take this thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what I think we need to focus on is durability. We have all these fantastic products to make bikes out of these materials that are unbelievable. You know, we can get into aerospace materials. We can get into thermal plastics, you know, aluminum coming along, getting better and better the end of the day it's like does your product last and how long can we keep it out from being needing to go to the dump um and then after that obviously we're looking at something that we can't really control which is carbon recycling i mean i don't which have a somebody need. will get there or they won't no i think they will i, I mean so i think they have to with with wind using so much composites they're going to have no choice right you can't take those blades and just do nothing with them they're right. going to have an upside i think a lot of it doesn't come down to you though as well like i admire you making something that's going to last a long time but i think the onus is a lot of times it should be on the consumer like that's what's driving people to make these things like people want to buy a new bike every two years Mm -hmm. even if your bike lasts 20 years Mm -hmm. people are still going to buy a new bike yeah well to be fair the rate of change in the in bikes over the last 20 years has been dramatic yeah and i hope that we're slowing down i don't know if we are but i think like, I think there's probably a little further to go, but really, I don't think we're going to... The difference between a bike today and in 2033 or 32 versus in 2012, back to 2012, will probably be less. I think it just depends on how much this, this e-bike thing seeps in. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, I that's mean, where we're going to go with... Like, I mean, I think a lot of people have written off standard bikes at this point yeah i agree with that statement we're there um but i mean if we're going to innovate on that side then that's a whole other thing but i mean in terms of standard regular bikes i don't think we'll still see change but less i agree i I don't i don't think you're wrong on that i think that we've seen the segmentation kind of come to a final okay i think these are the bikes we're going to see um and then from there it'll be interesting to see how and what transcribes from demand. I mean, I think that we're seeing you who started the down country movement. No. No, you did. <laughs> Legitimately, I think. <laughs> I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> but hey, we made a bike for you. Yeah. And I want that. I, I legitimately mils. think that's a great segment. I think it's perfect. I mean, a bike yeah. that rips and you can climb up and down and isn't crazy heavy. And I, I like it. And that's our 130 bike we just launched the other day. So, yeah. yeah. If, if I had to guess, I would assume that one of the biggest challenges of, of all this domestic manufacturing and all the sourcing that you do is is keeping prices reasonable. Yeah, I've, I think we I'm not driven by money. So for me, if my company is profitable, that's great. Uh, if my people are getting paid uh, well, that's great. Um, I don't need to shovel money into my pocket to, to know that I'm doing well. I'd rather see the the end result go there. So it allows me as a, as a company owner to steer it how I want. But yeah, controlling costs and labor, we're always going to struggle with that. There's yeah. nothing we can do about it. The costs of everything is going up insane right now. Wages, uh, you know, cost of living is going north and we're going to shoulder that weight. Um, we'll do the best we can to keep that from, you know, ending up in the consumer's, uh, you know, purchase. But there'll be a point where we can only do so much and we have to share that load for sure. Let's can, let's talk a bit about price. Mm-hmm. I 
I'm going to show my ignorance, Levy. You probably know the answers to some of these things, but how much... I can buy an arrival frame uh, only, right? No, not yet. I can't? I have to buy Completes, this complete? yeah, yeah. So we don't have, like, a, a frame set price? Um, no, I do, but... Would you tell me a retail? No, you wouldn't tell me a retail price? Of <laughs> no this? one's listening. <laughs> We're going to sell it a little bit different than others, so okay. it's a bit okay. of a different story. Well, but bike to bike, we can talk about that. Oh, well, why don't we do rims then? Okay. What, how much does a does a, a rim, just rim only? 450 American. 450 American for yeah. a single rim? Yep. How does that compare to the competition? Uh, I think we're one of the lowest costs. Yeah. You're one of the lowest costs, and you are the lowest cost in North American production, I believe. Got you. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I haven't done a market analysis yeah. in a while, but I think you're probably yeah, the oldest. I, I, yeah. Uh, as of like... 12 months ago when I was nerding out on something or other, I think you were. Okay. Um, Is that a win? Yeah, that's a win. Sure. Okay, Call good. it a win. Winning. <laughs> <laughs> um, you guys sell that direct only, right? Nope. We have, have multi-channel. We do. We have distribution that we sell to. We sell through okay. business to business and direct. So there's enough There's enough margin there to, to sell yeah. B2B and B2C. Yeah. There's a lot of bike shops that do very well with our product. Interesting. And make really good margins competitive margins so i guess like for me uh, uh these are not unverified numbers from me that i've heard in fairly recent times but like you know the value of a of a worker's labor in in like cambodia right now is 40 dollars a month and mm-hmm. in china is about 400 dollars a month mm-hmm. and then here is going to be at least four thousand dollars a month like it's in about there yeah you know how how is it is it just that these other companies are making that much more exponentially more money or are there also more layers of how are you getting it done <laughs> I, I don't have a billion dollar operation i mean i, I don't know i mean I, I i think there's so there's layers that those guys have that i don't have so distribution is going to take a lot um you're seeing that market kind of die down and people take control of it you're yeah. seeing sorry just you mean people are taking more control of their own inventory now yeah i mean yeah. i think i think specialized in tracker buying a bike shop a day by the sounds of it yeah um so that's them controlling their margins and increasing what they can get out of it but i think for companies of our size and our scale and where we're going um i, I supporting it and keeping our costs as low as we can um will always be a challenge i don't know if we're going to make it a hundred percent and yeah we'll probably see some price increases here and there but our raw material is is competitive um and if we can continue to manufacture without the amount of overhead that i think a lot of vendors and and companies that make in china or in asia or in, in cambodia say um you know we have a lot of less uh labor going into the product we'll, we'll continue to do well and that's why we've you know the rims come out of the mold and they're not painted there's you know processes that are cut out that still allow you to have a great product yeah. that don't add costs to it i um, mean i was talking to an unnamed brand here yesterday that manufactures um overseas and they were asking about what i thought of their product and i was like i actually really the product like the id the, the design is really nice i i actually think that what you've done some really smart things and then at the, at the very end of it you've put like horrendous graphics all over it <laughs> and like three different weird finishes and like you could have just left it raw mm-hmm. and it and charged 200 bucks more like mm-hmm. ah. yeah there's uh there's a lot of plus plus costs i think yeah. that uh that are unnecessary yeah mm-hmm. i mean pressing delete is an underrated thing for sure yeah i mean everybody it's funny i did i fight with sales and marketing all the time about graphics on the bike and the rims and is I'm that like, all tyler are they all the same person oh yeah, he's, <laughs> yeah if we can put a decal somewhere on the bike he would do it yeah and everyone was we had a, a heated battle about putting a head badge on the bike and i was like no yeah. not gonna happen and i said Why? take the take the decals off the rim because i want the bike to speak for itself i don't Love want it. everybody to yeah. be like that's the we are one bike no, I want you to look at the design. I want you to look at everything we've done and appreciate it for what it is, not for the stickers that we put on it or for our logo. You know, the, the consensus seems to be that it's one of the most beautiful bikes that's been released in 
recent times anyway. People seem to love it. You really like that, the look of it, eh? Oh, God. Yeah. Look at it. Yeah. We have one of them Would in front of us that? right now. What is the, what is that frame color called? You, it's got a funny coating or something, doesn't it? Yeah, it's got Cerakote on it. It's, um, I think it's just charcoal. Nothing fancy as far as name goes, but it's like a metal, it's like a light metal flake in the paint and then it's a ceramic bake on paint. So it sprays on really, really thin. Uh, there's less than an ounce of paint that go onto that frame. Totally. You can see the, the carbon through it. Yeah. Yeah. If you look closely yeah. in the sun, you can actually yeah. see right through it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So it has its advantages, but it also has some disadvantages as well. Unless it's perfect when it comes to paint or a coating by any means. So um, being that it's extremely thin, you can actually abrade through it a bit uh, easier. But there's like okay let's go back to the environmental thing yeah. it's like well i can spray a half a liter of paint on there and put all these vocs into the air and blah 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 and i can count all of that or i can put an ounce of paint and for every one bike that i would paint with traditional paint i can paint 20. yeah so is that better sure or sounds better. so yeah i mean yeah i wish i had the silver bullet for that side of the of the bike itself and it, it's one some, aspect that i overlooked heavily did some, not expect it to be that laborious yeah. or challenging sell them with a with a little ball of wax yeah. let everybody wax their own carbon bikes danger home style yeah exactly <laughs> yeah i don't know it's uh we were gonna go raw but i didn't want it to look like canadian tire rims on a on a car you know so yeah keep mm -hmm. it the way it is uh, we did the the fade on the back and give a little ombre kind of look to it so yeah nice fade how how long is we are one been around for now dustin when did we're you start it 17 in january but uh, so we're just entering our fifth year by a couple months yeah. yeah so could you have guessed that this was where things would have gone like you said you were you had plans from the start of making a frame a mm -hmm. carbon bike mm -hmm. is this the wild ride that you expected so on paper yes this is where i'm supposed to be yeah uh and then i got here and i'm like uh now what <laughs> Like we had a, we had a low, uh, when we launched the bike, I would say four months into production. So September, October, November, November, mm -hmm. me and Vlad, uh, who's the, you know, the genius behind the design of the bike, um, and, and the, the industrial design, everything like that's all Vlad. I mean, we gave him points and targets and I said, this is how I want the bike to behave, but we're sitting around there and I'm like, Vlad, you know, I've ridden this bike now for a year. I don't really know what else I want to make. And he's like, he, he wants to make a lot of stuff. Can we talk about Vlad? Yeah. Um, I, uh, so I, I got to know Vlad by reputation, by being up very late at night um, after my kid was born and watching weird YouTube tutorials on how to like lay carbon and stuff. Easy yeah. composites. Easy composites. Yeah. And, there was this guy who worked with easy composites in his like his like master's thesis or something to make a downhill bike. Yep. And it, it was this Vlad guy. I was like, oh, this is really cool. And then I realized we'd actually done a story on him. The sequence. The sequence, yeah. And went, that was like right before I'd started at PB, I think. And yeah, went and read all of his things. And he, yeah, super interesting guy. And then we've met since and yep. chatted. And yeah, so he's, is he full-time with you guys now? yeah yeah okay uh it was a cool story so when you guys so when he did the sequence he contacted us about some rims and i mm -hmm. said, yeah sure i gave him some rims for it i didn't really think much mm -hmm. of it and then the article came out from innsbruck on the bike yeah. and i showed him and i said to him like you know what i really like the design i really like what you're up to you've got the knowledge of like frame manufacturing a mm -hmm. little you know two to one um we should work together and it, we left that there for six months yeah and that's then how, i said how I, how I knew you were doing a bike though yeah was that like vlad was in town and yeah. then i saw him and like yeah. him riding with jordan and stuff on instagram and i was like okay yeah vlad's riding with jordan and co okay I, yeah. I guess it's coming i guess there's a bike coming yeah no i mean those who knew vlad knew it was coming yeah. for sure yeah. um it's uh it was yeah it was two years we took to make it mm -hmm. but uh yeah I, it was early conversations and it was all spurred on the the sequence and the article that that you guys put out cool yeah yeah it formed a pretty strong relationship and i just said you know we're gonna we're gonna do this and this is the bike i want to make and you, you're interested come to canada and working for us were, were you going to do the design work or were you going to bring somebody in um for that? like i say we're a year in advance so 
I didn't even really get the chance to really spend much time figuring out that side of it. I just approached him and it worked out. So it was like a real easy transition. Uh, we went from let's let's do this to hell yeah, where I'm coming. Let's go. Yeah, I mean, a big a big part of being the boss man is choosing the right people to bring in to do the job that you're not going to do, right? Le- Brian? Levy just looked at me so Brian? sheepishly. <laughs> being a leader. Am I doing a good job? Am I? <laughs> Did you give him this cookie yet? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> I don't get it till six when the show's over. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's for me, uh, you know, I wasn't a born CEO. I don't have an MBA. Um, I've I've never actually really been a good leader, um, if I'm honest, because I'm an army of one. Um, and that's something I'm working on big time right now as I'm redeveloping myself and taking a ton of CEO um, type courses and becoming an actual strong leader for the organization and you're right you got to bring in the right people um step back and and build those people up and that's where my focus has been in the last six to eight months is is developing me and my skill sets so that i can help my people be better and make sure that the organization is moving in the right direction with a good leader um that's something i didn't i never thought about you know didn't take a second even think about it and now it's i have to have to revamp and be better for sure Yeah. yeah You recently posted on something or other about like wanting to be open about needing some help mm-hmm. with with some of the administrative sides of things, yeah. and you're pretty like vulnerable about it. Mm-hmm. Why? What was? I, I'm not. I don't have anything to hide. I'm not hiding behind anything. Yeah. I mean, I struggle. Uh, you know, I had two really really big concussions in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, back to back. I also lost my spleen in, in one of those crashes. And uh, I have severe memory problems, short term memory and, and my organization, we're very, we're, we're pretty linear, um, pretty flat organization. And people will say things to me in passing and expect me to remember and whatnot. And I'll try my best to hold it all together. But as the organization grew from, you know, 20 to, to currently 86 people, when I walked from one part of it to the next uh, and people stopped me and tell me things along the way, I used to be able to remember that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I still know everybody by first name and I still do my damnedest. But now I'm looking at myself a little more honestly and saying, you need help. Yeah. You're not going to be able to do this by yourself anymore. And it's it's be, I, I attribute a lot of it to the head injury. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not my first or second or third. I've had multiple. Uh, head injuries in the past, but not being able to mem- remember things in short term, um, struggling with speech a bit here and there, those kinds of things, you know, I'm just open about them. What, what, I don't have anything to hide, you know, um, and it's okay when people need help. And I find that if you do put yourself out there, more people and more and generally better people are willing to help you. So, yeah, it's a, I'm in search of an EA, um, you know, we're working on a, a COO right now position. Um, cool. We've got, um, you know, finance under control. We've got a CFO coming in soon. So the, the company is starting to go from this this idea to now a full blown structured corporation. Yeah. 86 people. Yeah, we'll be north of 120 by the end of the year. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's wild. Yeah, I think I think we might. I don't know. I have to check, but I think Norco might edge us out by a few people. But by the end of the year, I think we'll be That's the an largest. entire bike company, Dustin. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's a big dog. <laughs> yeah, I know. I kind of like I talked to a few people. Like, How many do you have? I'm like 14. I'm like, I talked to um, Scott Nickel from Ibis. I was had a, a, the, a great chance to meet, like I would call him one of my heroes growing up as a kid. And um, yeah, the owner of I-9, uh, Clint Spiegel, brought me out to Sedona. And um, that's where I saw you. Yeah. I, Scott was staying there too, so me and him got left alone for like two and a half hours just oh, to chat. Yeah, he's uh, great. Unbelievable conversation with like, like legitimately. I'm like, I I have to say, Scott, I'm 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 in the room with someone that is probably like Wayne Gretzky figure to me. Like you're yeah. basically one of my biggest heroes ever. Like Charlie Kelly and you are like right up there. But yeah, just to see where he's at and what he did with his organization and he was really nice to open up and be you know open with me and and share some stories about how he you know the trials and tribulations that ibis went through um through all the years that he's gotten it to this point um is it's pretty awesome to see that you know damn i think we've done a pretty good job in a short period in comparison you you must be doing something right i hope so i feel like we are but uh it's still not perfect can we can we talk about the future a little bit? Sure. 
where's we are one going um i think we're we're gonna turn into more of a like so we'll, we'll have we are one the brand uh the brand will probably develop two more bikes uh it'll do a few more potential big projects one, one second when you say two more bikes mm -hmm. are they are those the ones based off the arrival frame no, or maybe completely different completely different yeah okay can we That's, say what they're going to be for um yeah i mean biking. my, my <laughs> i mean uh, my background i'd like to revisit that i'd like to yeah. to get back into it i want to be at the, the i find it's legitimately the spear of the sport um so downhill for sure yeah i was um, actually kind of surprised like knowing your history and your past that the first bike you released i, I know it makes sense to have like a an efficient pedaling kind of yeah. you know it's it's an enduro but it's also a long travel trailish bike yeah. that, that makes sense because it works for a lot of people but i was also sort of surprised that your first bike wasn't something more aggressive given your history yeah i mean i i think a lot of people think because i was a downhiller that was you know all i did but yeah I also raced cross country for a number of years and I, when I was racing downhill, I actually didn't ride a downhill bike very much. I spent most of my time, I had that bike when I was downhill racing. I was, I don't even know if I would have rode a downhill bike. I probably would have just kept at it. Yeah. Well, to um, be fair, if you had that bike. It would have been a downhill bike. You, you would have won that time, everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That bike versus the, the downhill bikes of the early 2000s. I still have that. Uh, I still have my my team dh and i put it next to that and it's like that thing has like a three inch longer wheelbase and oh yeah it's <laughs> crazy Wait, is that the one with the swinger six-way shock remote piggyback yeah, yeah, yeah i had one, one of those too. yeah yeah solid yeah. bikes yeah it was good solid all right heavier than <laughs> she flies straight and steady <laughs> yeah hope you don't got a bunny hop that thing <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. so downhill bike in the future and yeah. something else it yeah like. something well, else yeah uh, let's be real but the other one's gonna have a, have batteries uh I don't know. I st I really genuinely struggle with that. I think yep. we're gonna be we're gonna be a counterculture for a while. If yep. if we do an e-bike, mm -hmm. if I'm if I'm dead set honest, I don't know if it'll be under the We Are One brand. Right. Yeah. I I so I think that e-mountain biking for me, uh, I'm not sold on. Yeah. I I think it's. I'm not gonna say it's a fad because I know I'm gonna lose that argument, but I don't see value in it. Um, I like to go out. And this is my personal thing. I like to go out and ride my bike. If I can do one lap, fine. If I can do two laps, great. I like to suffer. I like, I'm a sick person that way. I like to feel my legs burn. I want to hurt. But when I turn down the hill, I'm going to, I want to rip. And I don't think I've been on an e-bike where I've turned it down the hill. If I'm not marketing it and telling you it's awesome, that has been awesome. It's like, if I'm going to do this, I would rather buy a dirt bike mm -hmm. straight up. Which you have. which i have yeah. yeah so if i want to go out and i want to have like p power assist like shredding for four hours non-stop i will go out on my husk barn and i'll have a gas um but if i want to go out and pedal i'm going to take my bike um but if we shift that narrative and we say okay i want to stop driving my car yeah commuter bikes i'm all in and there's there will be a spin-off that we will go that direction with with our brand um, it might not be a We Are Run brand, but we will be manufacturing commuter bikes with e-motors and we'll probably utilize that as our launch pad to then say, okay, well, if we can go good in this, this round and we do all of our research there, we keep We Are One as a core brand that's a mountain bike brand. And what we learn here and let this kind of shake out and, you know, where it's going to end up, we can be involved in the, the development of an e-motor. Uh, you know, we would want to try and do it in-house, obviously. Um, utilize it where I think it's got the biggest impact uh, on the world and the planet and making everything better, getting more people on bikes. And then at that time, at we might look at bringing that to our mountain bike brand and seeing right. where it shakes right. out. Yeah. But no, right now, no, I, I don't want to do it. Let me tell you how easy it is to develop a motor in-house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have, have you been, I'm sorry, have you been working on it? No, no, no. no. Uh, my, uh, at rocky when i worked oh at rocky, that's right we yeah were, yeah we that's right that bike yeah yeah so there's i have the luxury of knowing uh, a few people in my network that are are doing that currently yeah that will utilize for sure and then we're mm -hmm. working and forming good relationships in, in that direction and and it's 100 still canadian made mm -hmm. so um there's some great battery manufacturers that are doing amazing things in washington really yep yeah, cool. like uh, getting, you know, you see these e-bikes that burn up and yeah. these are new fuel cells that you can't, they can't combust. Um, that kind of stuff is happening. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Can we, I think we spend a lot of time talking about 
the challenges of domestic manufacturing. Mm -hmm. And they usually come down to like materials and labor. <laughs> Let's talk a bit about some of the things that get a lot easier. Were there any things that surprised you? Yeah, there's pivoting. I mean, one minute there's a trend. If there's a trend in the, if, if say something blows up and there's a massive trend tomorrow, mm -hmm. I can guarantee you I'll have a bike or that trend to market faster than anybody else or pivot. Um, we have a, we have a problem with a rim mm -hmm. and something's wrong. Okay. Well we stop production right then and there. We don't have to make any more. We can stop it right there, nip it in the butt, re-engineer it and be up and running in a week. Um, so the speed and the rate at which we can change and pivot or adapt or come up with new things or new solutions is one of the biggest benefits to what we do. And is that is that because of domestic manufacturing or is that because of the size you're at today? Domestic manufacturing, 100 yeah. percent. You control all of your processes. I don't wait for anybody. Right. I just go. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to. I don't have to go talk to somebody overseas or I don't have to make a phone call or an email and wait for, you know, the time change there. We all are involved in it across the whole spectrum of the organization. So when the machine when the part needs to be remachined to a certain spec or the, the engineers need to get involved, we have everybody in the room that morning. We all agree on it. We all go out, we make our changes and it's just like engineering, CAD, machining, part, layout, done. Testing. Yeah. yeah. Do you guys hold your inventory in parts or in raw materials? Like, <laughs> if I had inventory, it would be in material, or it would be in parts. But okay. I, we, I'm not kidding you. Like, we have never held inventory, right? Ever. Yeah. yeah. We just can't make it fast enough. Right. Yeah. Right. But so you wouldn't do it like a just-in-time type of manufacturing. Well, we do right now, but that's not like we've planned it. Right. It's just like. <laughs> Like all the time, please hurry yeah. up. In time. It's like, can I get more? So no, I mean, we're moving into a facility that'll be, that'll make us, uh, you know, well, four times our current output. Um, and we'll probably scale back, um, to, to more of a just in time situation at that point. Right. Yeah. We'll house a certain amount and then we'll kind of keep a, a dollar going. It's a very cool bike. It's Thank a very, you. very cool bike. Yeah. I'm, I'm really proud of it. I mean, honestly, it's, uh, it looks good. Um, it has good aesthetics. I think it's designed around someone that can can ride a bike, has ridden yep. a bike, and understands what a bike's supposed to be. Um, yeah, I think it's a it's a real looker, and it it rips. It absolutely rips. I think I think we maybe shot ourselves in the foot. You were about to reveal some more things that you were going to make. You said you're going to do two more bikes. Yeah, and then you revealed that you're going to maybe do a uh, a more generalist brand and yep. spin that off. And yep, and then cool. do more manufacturing. So other 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 components in the for sure in, the, in yep. your sites. You yep. think that improvements can be made to yep. Some there's some low hanging fruit for sure. Yeah. Um, and then there's some more complex stuff that I think due to the supply chain mm -hmm. that we're looking at going like, can we come up with a solution in house and uh, and alleviate that? All right, Dustin, we're going to let you get back to the booth. I think there's probably a ton of people there that want to talk to you about bikes. I got to go work on my burn a little bit more. So okay, boys. Yeah. Thanks for stopping by. Thank Dustin. you, gentlemen. It's awesome. been a slice. Thanks, cheers. See you around. Yeah.